to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. We're going to be taking a look at Psalm 77 today. And to jump into that, I want to get you thinking about life's ups and downs. We all know what it's like to go through life and we have ups and we have downs, right? Okay? I mean, I could take a survey and say, how many of you are in a really up time right now? And some of you, many of you, hopefully a lot of you would raise your hands. And I could say, how many of you are going through a really down time right now? And some would raise their hands, but some are going through such a down time, they might not would even raise their hand because it's like, I just don't even have the energy to put it up or maybe whatever you're going through, it's like, I don't want other people to know or whatever the reason might be. The thing is, is wherever you are in uptown, down, uptime, downtime or somewhere in between, there's a bunch of other people in this room. There's a bunch of other people, for those of you that are watching online, who are in that same similar status right now. Because that's what life is like. We have our uptown. We have our downtime. And when we are believers in Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that does not exempt us from the uptown. Well, thankfully, from the uptimes, but it doesn't exempt us from the downtimes either. We struggle sometimes. And it gets very difficult. And unfortunately, sometimes in the church... Because of our belief in an almighty God who loves us and wants to work in our lives and is actively involved behind the scenes, wants to help us with our problems, and all those things are true. But because of our belief in that, sometimes we don't want to admit, even to ourselves sometimes, that we're struggling. Because we feel like, if I'm really struggling, but I claim to believe in Jesus, there must be something wrong with me. But that's just not true. You know, if you read through the book of Psalms, 150 poems, there are some tremendous expressions of praise and worship to this awesome God we serve. So many declarations of God's goodness and his character traits and his, his blessings and the things he's done for his people. But you would find just as many, I mean, I didn't do a survey, I didn't count the verses, all that kind of stuff, but uh, just from reading it all these years, you would probably find just as many expressions of crying out to God, like, God, I'm struggling here. Where are you at? God, I need you. God, the enemies are overtaking. God, why don't you do something about this? And God said, that's good stuff, put it in the Bible. So there's nothing wrong with admitting to ourselves and even admitting to each other that we struggle sometimes. And so today we're going to be looking at some of these ups and downs. You know, those of us, again, that are believers, we find it very easy to praise God when we're in an uptime, right? Sometimes we forget, and that's something we need to learn. It's not the main point today. But when God has blessed you, when God's met a need, when God's come through for you, don't forget to thank Him. Don't forget to praise Him. And not just to Him, you need to spread it around. Because we need that encouragement. 
God did something great. Give that testimony. It's a, it's not only a testimony to other believers to encourage and strengthen them in their faith and whatever they may be facing, but it's also an opportunity to point people to a God who loves his people. Maybe an open a door for you to share with them about Jesus. So we might find it easy to praise God in the uptimes, and then we find it really easy to cry out to God and seek him in the downtimes. It's like, God, I need you. I'm, I'm lost. I'm, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm, I'm struggling. God, I need you. And it's certainly appropriate. And God welcomes us to come to him, seeking him, crying out to him in the down times. But can I tell you that both of those things are appropriate, but we need to swap them also. We need to get to the point where we can praise God in the down times, not just seek him because if we need him. We need to get to the point and say, God, I am so struggling. I so need you. But you know what? I love you. You love me. I'm standing on your promises. I praise you because you're my God. You're an almighty father. You care about me. You're at work behind the scenes, even though I don't see it going on. And we need to seek him in the good times. Sometimes, again, we can get off track. Yeah, Jesus, thank you so much for what y'all have done. I'm going to do my thing. But we should seek him all the time, not just when we need something. We've mentioned this before in sermons or studies on prayer. How would you feel about somebody, the only time they want to talk to you is when they need something from you? Sometimes we treat God that way. Well, that was a little mini sermonette for my introduction. But anyway, as we get into this message, talking about the ups and the downs. When we're in that downtime, when we're in those struggles, I'm so glad we can come to God. And what I really love is when I lift something up to God, I say, God, here's a need. I'm struggling. Would you intervene? And I love it when he does something immediately. Don't you love that too? Unfortunately, that's not what happens most of the time. There's a good reason for that. Usually God's letting us go through those things because he's strengthening us. He's trying to teach us something, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, it's, and we're not ready yet to have it lifted. But if that's the case, if we cry out to God in the midst of our struggles and he doesn't just immediately take care of it, the second best thing is just to really sense his presence. To just know that, okay, God hasn't solved it yet. I still don't know how I'm going to pay all my bills. I still don't know how we're going to work this thing out with my spouse. I still don't know what's going to happen with my child, with my whatever that relationship. I still don't know how this is going to work out at work or at school or whatever the situation is. But I just have this sense that God's in my corner. God loves me, you know, and, and, and I just know his promises and I'm just going to trust in him. And I just love the fact that I can sense God's presence. That's, that's the second best for me anyway. But what's really, really hard is when you're struggling and you cry out to God and you don't sense anything. You're asking God for help and yeah, you know the promises and stuff, but it's like, God, are you there? God, do you hear me? God, do you care? Someone sarcastically said, well, maybe God's just too busy counting people's hairs on their heads to pay attention to your real needs. It is true. The Bible says that God knows every hair on our head, but that's meant to illustrate his care and concern, and he knows everything. Not that he's more concerned about that than the needs that you're in. But today, I want to talk about those times. 
I want to talk about when God is silent. When God is silent. I decided to take a break from the Gospel of Luke for a little while and I prayed, God, what, what, what would you like me to preach on? And he, I believe he led me to this particular psalm, Psalm 77, to talk for a little while about when God is silent. The structure of my sermon is going to be a little bit different today. It will have a number of points but the points that I'm going to give you today are actually phrases. And when you put them together, they're going to add up to a question with a statement. So we're going to deal with it one phrase at a time. And the first phrase is this. When I am deeply troubled. We're going to pause right there. What do we do when we deeply troubled? Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. But when I am deeply troubled. We all know what it's like to be deeply troubled. The psalmist, his name is Asaph. He was one of the leaders of the praise and worship under King David. His whole family was invested in that ministry. Their descendants all down through the years in the temple. Um, Asaph and his family were the praise and worship leaders. And he wrote a good number of the psalms. David wrote most of the psalms, but Asaph wrote a number of them. And here in Psalm 77, we're going to read verses 1 to 4. And I want you to not only hear the words, but to try to feel what he's feeling here because we've all been there. He says, I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God. He repeats himself. I think he's just, he's, he's still in this anguish. He's still in this struggle. I cry aloud to God. Aloud to God. And he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. That word selah there, nobody knows exactly what it means. It's 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 a notation you find in many of the Psalms. Most Bible scholars believe it means stop for a minute and think about this. Meditate on this. Verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. In other words, I can't go to sleep. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Asaph, a worship leader in the house of God, is going through something. He is struggling. He is deeply troubled. He's, He's offering this earnest prayer. But as we look at the beginning of the psalm, we see he is still struggling. How do we know he's still struggling? We know it from the words he uses. He says, I cry aloud. I've got trouble. I'm seeking God. My my hands stretched out without wearing. It's basically, it's like, God, I'm reaching out to you and I can't stop because I don't have an answer yet. He talks about how his soul refuses to be comforted. Not that he doesn't want to be comforted, but he's not getting any. He moans his spirit, his spirit, not the spirit of God. His spirit faints. He poetically says, you hold my eyelids open. He says, I can't sleep. You've been there, haven't you? Whatever it was, at night you go to bed, you can't fall asleep. Or maybe you fall asleep and you wake up in the middle of the night, you can't go back to sleep. Or you wake up early in the morning, which has happened to me a couple times lately. It's like, oh Lord, it's not time to get up. I'd really love to sleep a little bit longer. And sometimes he lets me go back to sleep and sometimes he doesn't. It's not always because I'm struggling with something. Sometimes it's because I've got something on my mind, I pray. Anyway, but we know what that's like. You can't sleep. And when he says here, I cannot speak, I'm so troubled I can't speak, 
I don't know if that means it's just something he feels like he can't talk about with somebody else or something else, but, but he is so overwhelmed by his situation that he's in turmoil. He's crying out to God. What is this problem? We don't know. And I think that that's deliberate. If not by him, by God, putting this psalm in the Psalter, I have a feeling that in this particular case anyway, God had him not put down exactly what his problem was so we can all relate. Because if he put something in there about, well, you know what, I'm really, really sick and I think I'm going to die. People that are dealing with a life-threatening illness could relate, but other ones are like, oh, that doesn't apply to me. Instead, I think God put it this way so all of us, when we struggle, whatever it might be, we can relate to what Asaph is saying here. You know, another thing that I can really relate to with Asaph is things seem so much more difficult at night. Have you noticed that? If your mind is wrestling with something at nighttime, especially in the middle of the night, it can seem so overwhelming. I don't know about you, but it's certainly true for me. There's times things that I may deal with, wrestle with at nighttime or in the middle of the night, but then I get up in the morning, I get moving around and I start praying and, and life begins to flow. It's like, it really wasn't as bad as it seemed in the middle. I mean, it may be bad, but it just doesn't seem quite as bad. But there's something about the nighttime. And I love the promise that we have in God's word in Psalm 30 verse 5. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's true, not just literally, if we're crying over something that God may bring joy, but figuratively speaking, we may feel such a heaviness at night. And then when God comes through in the daytime, joy comes. Now, I'm not saying that if you're wrestling with something at night, that the next morning it's all going to be fine. Maybe not. You may still have that heaviness, but there's just something about that nighttime and morning coming. But have you been where Asaph is? Are you there today, deeply troubled? Or there may be some of you that are here, some of you that are watching online or you're listening to this later, and it's like, well, I'm not deeply troubled, but I got some issues, and I really need God to touch. I'll tell you, this message is for you today. When I'm deeply troubled, the second phrase that gets added to that, when I'm deeply troubled and God is silent. When I'm deeply troubled and God is silent. Silent. I said a little while ago, it's great when we're troubled, we got something going on and we just sense God's presence. He's not solved it yet, but we know he's working and, and we know we can trust him. But when he is silent, when he's silent, we pick up a little bit. So we're going to back up and reread from verse 2 and try to pick up not just Asaph's concern and struggle, but pick up the fact that he feels like God's not there for him, or not that he's not there for him, but he can't, he can't sense his presence. He doesn't hear anything from God at this moment in time. He says, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit makes a diligent search. And we're going to stop there. We're going to pick that back up again in just a moment. But I think we can see here that to Asaph at this point, God is silent. He's not yet gotten a response from God. And how do we know that? 
Because he would have said so. He wouldn't still be in the full sense of turmoil that he's in. He would have said things like we see many times in other Psalms. Well, I cried out to the Lord and he answered me. You know, and I brought this to God and he delivered me. Or, you know, there's so many expressions of those times when God comes through, when his presence is felt, when his, when, when even if God's not done doing the work yet, God's there. But there's no sign of that here. It seems God is silent. And what brings a little bit additional pain is that Asaph talks about, he thinks back to the days of old. And we're going to pick this up a little bit more later in the psalm. Basically, he's thinking back to the times in the past that God really came through for him. And it's like, why aren't you doing that right now? He talks about the song in the night. And and, and the the sense here, the feeling here is that there are times in the past when he enjoyed resting at night. And he enjoyed just the presence of God and would even worship God at night as he just laid, probably laid to, down, you know, to go to sleep and he hadn't fallen asleep yet and just God's presence and it was a good day and just worshiping God. That's kind of the feel that's here. That's kind of the idea that's here that he would sing songs. He would worship God as he fell asleep because God has been so good. But in this Psalm, he says, I look back and I think of all those things that God did. I think about those times that I had great communion, great fellowship with him as I laid down to go to sleep. And I had a good night's sleep. And there's songs in the night. It's not happening for me right now. God's silent. God's answered so many times in the past, but not now. And that's just intensifying his concern. He's like, what's wrong? What's going on? I've seen this over and over and over, besides experiencing it from time to time in my own life, where you have someone who's a follower of Jesus. Love God, serving Him. Haven't met anybody yet who's perfect, including especially myself. But really trying to live for God and doing the right thing. Has been blessed many times in the past, but now facing difficulty. Now struggling. And I've had people come and talk to me and seen things posted, all kinds, but I don't hear God's voice. I don't see his hand extended. I don't know what God's doing because it doesn't seem like he's doing anything. And I I know better. I know the truth. I know the promises. But I don't sense God's presence. I don't hear his voice. Makes me think of the story of Job, which most of you are probably familiar with. A man who was righteous and upright. He wasn't perfect, but he really did everything he could to please God. And the enemy, Satan, came before God in his throne room. And God kind of pointed him out and said, look at my servant Job. He loves me so much. He's serving me so well. And the enemy says, it's because you're blessing him so much. You take your hand of blessing and protection off of him. Let me do a couple things to him and see what happens. God says, okay. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but that's what the story is about. And the enemy messes with Job big time. And he goes back to God and God says, see, he's still praising me. He says, well, yeah, but I messed with his finances. I messed with his family. But you didn't let me touch him. Let me touch him. God said, okay. And so Job himself, personally in his body, began to suffer. But he never denied God. He struggled. He questioned. He didn't understand what was going on. But you know what? Sometimes we find ourselves in similar situations. Probably we've not had it as bad as Job did. Maybe you have been in a situation, you've been in a situation that's been just about as bad as Job's. But you know what that struggle's like? It's like, God, why is this happening? 
Why is this happening? When I'm deeply troubled and God is silent, the next thing is, will I give in to doubt? When I'm deeply troubled and God is silent, will I give in to doubt? Asaph's struggling with this. Let's take a look at verses 6 to 9. The things we've already read, he's leading up to this, got this struggle. He's remembering the past. It's not happening now. At the end of verse 6, he says, Then my spirit made a diligent search. I think what that's saying is that he says, I really searched my heart. I really searched, you know, my spirit. I really searched my past with God. I really searched my relationship with God. And here's what he comes up with starting in verse 7. A bunch of questions. Will the Lord spurn forever? Spurn is kind of an old-fashioned word meaning to reject, to turn aside, to turn away from. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love, and steadfast means always there forever and ever, you can always count him. Has his steadfast love forever ceased? That's a contradiction in terms. You can't have a steadfast love that ceases, but he's like, I always knew God to be this one who is steadfast in his love and faithfulness. Has it stopped? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Salah. That last thing has in his anger. You know, we see God's anger expressed at sin in the destructive Force the destructive impact it has on his people's lives. So God gets angry about sin. God loves the sinner, but he hates the sin because it destroys lives. And especially throughout the Old Testament, you see God's anger expressed at sin because it's destroying his people. And so Asaph, it sounds like, is even wondering, have I done something wrong that has caused God to shut off his blessings, to shut off his presence? Now, are these questions kind of rhetorical questions that he asks? He says, no, surely not. No, surely not. Or is he wrestling with doubt? Or is it a mixture of the two? We won't know till we ask Asaph when we get into heaven. But I think all of us can recognize what he's dealing with. I think all of us understand this when we've gone through things and these same questions come to our mind and we say, you know, I really believe God's word. The answer to all these things are no. But if I look at my experience and I don't understand what's going on, it's like, I don't know. We struggle with doubt. Not saying you're ready to reject your faith, although some people do when they go through difficult times that are so overwhelming. But we struggle. Will I give in to the doubt? Has God's unfailing love failed? Has he stopped keeping his promises? And can I tell you, when we get to this point... This is significant. This is important. This is where we have to make a choice. A very, very important choice. When we're facing these questions, when we face this possible beginnings of doubt, when we face this disappointment with what's going on in our lives and maybe even disappointment with God, will we lose faith or will we keep hanging on? You know, in the many decades that I've been involved in ministry, I have seen people, individuals, families, or whatever, go through a really 
difficult situation. And the end result ends up being that they kind of walk away from their faith or whatever. And I've seen other individuals and families face something that's just as difficult, maybe even the exact same kind of situation, and they get stronger. Now, I know there's a lot of factors that affect each of us and where we go and how we respond to things, personality, other relationships, that kind of stuff. But can I tell you, one of the most important factors is the choices that we make. The choices that we make. And the first part of the choice is, will I give in to doubt? Will I give in to doubt? And the longer we face the crisis and the more difficult it is, the bigger that question becomes. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking of another story in the Bible from Daniel chapter 3, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Some of God's people that have been taken into captivity. God allowed them to be blessed in captivity to become part of the government. He gave them great wisdom. They were, they were advisors to the king. And they were committed to the king, but they were committed to God first. And when Nebuchadnezzar decided to build this great big statue in his honor. We don't know if it was a statue of Nebuchadnezzar or just an idol or whatever. And he called all of his leaders together and he says we're going to worship this statue had a big band playing and he says okay as soon as they start playing this music everybody bow down and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego did not would not and I imagine it was probably some jealous co-leaders or whatever turned them in said Nebuchadnezzar you said everybody's got to bow down and worship this idol these three guys won't do it and so Nebuchadnezzar calls them up and he talks to them. He says, hey, listen, I've told everybody to just do it. Just do it. Bow down. And they said, we can. He says, if you don't, you'll be cast into the fiery furnace. And I think probably most of you are familiar with this story. But if you're not, he had had this furnace constructed. It could have been the furnace that was there to help construct the idol. And it's still there or whatever. But he, he says, heat it up seven times hotter and all that kind of stuff. And the people that were actually heating up the furnace, tossing in more fuel, actually died because it was so hot. And he told Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that that's where they were going to end up if they did not bow down and worship the idol. And I love their response. They said, if this be so, you know, you're going to cast us in there if we don't bow down. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I love that faith. They say, you know what, king? If I could paraphrase their life, we've served you faithfully. You've received our support. But the God we serve is more important than you are. And he is able to deliver us from this furnace... And he will deliver us from you, one way or the other. I love that. Because he says, he can deliver us from this furnace. But you know what? He may choose not to. Maybe we will die in that furnace. But you know what? We'll still be delivered from you and your persecution and your oppression. We're not going to bow. They made a choice. They made a choice. You see, the real question is... 
Do I trust God only when things are going my way? Or do I trust God even when there doesn't seem to be an answer? So we go on. When I'm deeply troubled and God is silent, will I give in to doubt or will I cling to God in faith? Will I cling to God in faith? Just one verse there, verse 10. Asaph says, Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Again, the Psalms are poetry. It's like, what does he mean by this? I will appeal to this. Asaph's saying, he's, you know what? Here's my choice. I've got a lot of stuff going on. I can't sleep. I'm crying out to God. I don't sense his presence. I don't hear his voice. But I'm making a choice. I'm looking back at what he did for me already. And what he's done for our people. And that's what I'm going to take a stand on. He says... I will appeal to this. This is where I'm focused. This is what I'm going to stand on. This is what the years of the right hand of the most high. When you study scripture and you see it talks about the right hand of God, it is talking about his power and his authority and his miracle working presence that he exerts on behalf of his people. And Asaph is saying, I can look back all through the history of our people and we've been through some rough stuff. And he's going to refer to a specific example by the time we get to the end. And we didn't always understand what was going on and we caused a lot of problems for ourselves. If I could just kind of paraphrase the history and what Asaph may be having going through his mind. He said, but God always came through for us. Sometimes we were up against the wall. Sometimes we didn't know what was going to happen. But God's right hand always, eventually, extended to take care of his people. And I would imagine Asaph, we don't know that much about his personal life at all, so we don't know. But I would imagine that Asaph was able to look at his own life and say, and you know what, there's been times that God has come through for me too. That's what I'm going to stand on. I don't see it right now, but that's okay. I'm going to choose... To believe in the God I believe in. That he is the same today as he was in the past. I'm not seeing it yet, but that's okay. There's a change of focus. He's taken the focus off of himself and he's put it upon his God. He's focusing on God's past help. He's focusing on his Character. He's focusing on what he's done in the past instead of focusing. Now, we don't need to deny ourselves. We don't need to, in the sense of, you know, deny something bad's happening to us. We don't need to ignore our circumstances. We don't need to, you know, deny any of that stuff. But he's saying, I'm not going to focus so much on myself and what I'm going through, but I'm going to focus more on God. You know, there's sometimes in the past, we haven't done it for a while, I don't think. Um, that maybe we'll open a service or a time of prayer and we'll say, you know what, um, put aside uh, whatever's going on in your life and just focus on the Lord. And that's never a, a, an exhortation to just, your problems aren't important. But it's just say, we need to shift our focus. And that's going to help us to deal with our problems. We need to look to God. That's one of the reasons I believe that God, throughout His Word... When you see examples of prayer and when you see instructions of prayer, 
We see it in the example and in the instructions is that whenever you come to God, come with thanksgiving. Come with praise. Because it builds our faith. In fact, I love the story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20 when he's the king, he's a godly king and these armies are coming against him and they're desperate because the armies are only about 15 miles away. They've come to destroy them. And you look at his prayer and it starts out with praise and worship. I think the only example of a prayer I can see in scripture where somebody was in desperate trouble and they didn't start with praise and worship was Peter walking in on the water and he begins to sink. He didn't have time to praise and worship. He says, Jesus, help! That's all he could get out before he went under, okay? That's, what, that's my opinion anyway. You know, Paul tells us to bring everything to God. Don't be anxious, but, but bring everything with thanksgiving. To get our eyes on God and what he's already done to compare to what we need to have done in our lives. It's a great prayer habit. Whenever you go to God about anything, start out with thanksgiving. Start out with praise and worship. I think of that old song, that old chorus, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So when I am deeply troubled and God is silent, will I give in to doubt or will I cling to God in faith, remembering his past goodness? I've already referred to that, but we see Asaph deciding to do that. He said, I decided. I'm going to appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'm going to look at all the stuff God's done. And then he goes on, starting in verse 11. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders and you have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Salah. Notice what he says here. He says, I will four times. In other words, he's not basing what he's going to do on his emotions. He doesn't say, I feel like or I feel this. He says, I will. Because he's not feeling real good right now. I'm not basing my actions. I'm not basing my choice. I'm not basing my response on how I feel. I am going to base my response on my God and what I know to be true about my God. I will. I will. I will. I think of what Paul wrote in Romans 8, verses 31 to 32. He says, what then shall we say to these things? He's talking about all the things that come against us as believers. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's declaration is, if God sent Jesus to die a cruel death so he could save us, and Jesus was willing to come, don't you think he's going to take care of us? And when he says, give us all things, that doesn't mean anything you want and anything you claim and anything, whatever. It just means he's going to give you whatever you need. He's going to get you through. And this confidence comes as we focus on God, not just 
our circumstances. And we could do a whole Bible study on the character of God from what Asaph says here. He says, God is holy. Holy means separate, other, different from. You know, the idea of holiness is not just, I got this rules and regulations. It's just, I'm different because God's presence in my life and God's, God's work in my life. I'm going to be different. I'm going to do what's pleasing to him and, and, and not do those things that are displeasing to him. But God in himself is holy. He's different. He's separate. He's above all. And so sometimes when we're going through things and we don't understand what's going on, we just got to trust that he knows what he's doing. In Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, God is speaking. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God knows more than we do. God's got a better handle on things. Talks about how God is great. How God can do anything. It says he works wonders. It talks about his might. It talks about how God redeems his people. He saves them. He delivers them. It says that we could dig more deeply into that, but we don't have the time this morning. But it's all based on God's character and how his character influences what he does for his people. Are we going to trust in that? Are we going to remember his past goodness? You know, changing the focus from ourself isn't easy, but it is important. And this is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why it's so important that we spend time in God's word and we know what God's word says. What it says about who we are in Christ. What it says about his character and his love for his people. What it says about his promises. What it says about what we can count on. What it says about our source of strength and our source of joy to know God's word. It's one of the reasons why worship songs that declare God's goodness, that magnify his character, that talk about his work in our lives are so great and and why we often respond so much to that. And in that way, that's why worship is so significantly important. You know, God constructed us and set things up so much that in such a way that music really moves people. And that can be in a good way. That can be in a bad way. But that's why the significance of musical worship is so tremendous. Because as we sing about God's character, as we sing about God's goodness, as we sing about God's love for us and his, the way he's worked in the past and the way he wants to work in our lives now, as we sing about his promises, it lifts our spirit, it encourages us, it strengthens us. Probably most of us, if not all of us, have experienced this. If we walk with the Lord for any period of time, we're going through a tough time and just the right song comes on the radio or on whatever, or you put on just the right song and it declares the truths of God's word and it lifts our spirits because we're not focusing as much on ourselves and our problem. Not denying it, but we're focusing more on God and who he is and what he wants to do. So when I'm deeply troubled and God is silent, will I give in to doubt or will I cling to God in faith remembering his past promises? That's the question. And the last phrase is this. God has delivered before and he will do it again. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying. God's delivered our people before 
He's going to do it for us. We don't know exactly how he's going to do it, but he's going to do it. It may even involve our deaths, but that's okay. It's our deliverance because we can count on our God. God has delivered before and he will do it again. Look at verses 16 through 20. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. This is kind of a poetic way of describing this tremendous storm. Seems to kind of indicate even a a sea picture here in this storm and and the thunder and the lightning and the clouds just battling in the heavens to, to kind of give it another poetic twist. Verse 18, the crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. What's this talking about? Verse 19 gives us a a, a clue. Your way was through the sea. Your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. See, Asaph is giving an example of a time when God tremendously delivered his people. He's talking about the episode at the Red Sea. It's a poetic description. You may remember this story. God's people were in slavery in Egypt, had been for over 400 years. They cried out to God. And I'm sure they didn't wait till year 399 to cry out to God. They've been crying out to God for a while. There's a whole lesson in there. There are times, for whatever reasons, for whatever purposes in God's plan, we will cry out to him for a while before we see his hand extend to take care of the problem. But they've been crying out to God, and God says, I'm going to deliver my people. And he did it through Moses and his brother Aaron. And you may know the story. They go to Pharaoh and say, hey, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. They say, if you don't, God's going to cause problems. I know I'm paraphrasing here. Pharaoh says, I don't care. I don't know anything about your God. I don't care about your God. So God sends the first plague. Shakes Pharaoh up a little bit, but he's got some magicians, some devil worshipers. That doesn't what the Bible say, but basically that's what it is. People that are empowered by Satan that do something similar. So he says, oh, this is no big deal. My own people can do this. And so he says, forget it. So God sends plague number two. And it goes one, two, three, four, five, all the way through plague number nine. And, and along the way, Pharaoh kind of says, oh, this is really tough. Okay, I'll let him go. No, I won't. Kind of waffles back and forth. Well, some of the people can go, but not all of them. And, and, and they, he, he keeps pulling back until Moses says, listen, this is the last opportunity you have. If you don't let God's people go, he's going to put to death all the firstborn. And that's what happens. You know, God's people have instructions. In fact, Moses even gives the instructions out there. It seems like some Egyptians follow the instructions. They've learned this God is important. This God's significant. And the instructions are to make the sacrifice of the lamb and you put that on the doorpost and all. It became Passover. It became an annual festival to celebrate God's deliverance. And so those who said, I'm going to trust in God and what he says and went through the steps to offer that sacrifice, they were delivered and protected from the death angel that came through and struck down all the firstborn. Finally, Pharaoh was broken and he says, go, get out of here. So the Israelites, a couple million of them all pack up and they leave. They're excited. They're singing. They're dancing. The Egyptians say, get out of here. In fact, we're going to give you gold and silver and jewelry. Just get away from us. And and they go off. And it says that God deliberately led them certain directions. 
And he didn't lead them by one particular way because they would have to face battle right away with the Philistines and he didn't want them to have to do that. So he led them a different way. But he led them to the place where they're camping next to the Red Sea. And then Pharaoh says, what in the world did I do? We just got rid of our labor population. So he musters the army. He goes out, says, we're going to bring him back. And so you got Pharaoh and all his army on one side of God's people and the Red Sea on the other, and there is no place for them to go. And they cry out to God and say, God, why'd you do this? We'd have been better off never leaving. And, and God's there. God's got his presence. He's the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He, he parks that between Pharaoh and the Israelites so they can't make any, you know, any progress coming against them right now. But, but the Israelites, God! And, you know, we can read that story and we can say, God just proved himself with ten plagues. You think he's going to abandon you now? And unfortunately, even after this event, when they face other difficulties, they're like, God, where are you at? They still struggle to believe. But you know, we could look at them and criticize, but we do the same thing. How many times do we face a difficulty? It's like, God, where are you at? And we totally ignore what he did last week, last month, last year. We kind of have that attitude like, God, what have you done for me today? I don't believe it's really that crass. I believe what it is is that, God, you've been faithful before. Why am I not seeing you working now? I don't understand this. But the Israelites are between these two difficulties and God says, I'm going to take care of us. And so that's, that's where he split the Red Sea. This poetic description likens it to this humongous storm that accompanied it. I don't know if there was a storm that day or not, but in the poetic description of it, we see God doing all kinds of crazy, ominous stuff and he splits the sea and the Israelites escape across the Red Sea. Pharaoh decides to follow them with the army or he sends his army to follow them and God allows the sea to come down and destroy the army. And then the Israelites go on and they rejoice and all that kind of stuff and then when they have another problem, they complain. But that's beside the point. But Asaph says, that's the illustration I'm going to look at. One of the hardest times in our people's history and God came through. But they didn't know how he was going to do it. They didn't know when he was going to do it. It seemed impossible, but he did it. And it was awesome. It was ominous. But you know what? God was in control of all the stuff that seemed so ominous. I guarantee you that that storm, that the thunder, the lightning, all that kind of stuff seemed very scary to the Israelites too. But God was in control. And there's a point there that God is in control of all the things that seem so ominous in your life. He's in control. I want to reread the last two verses as we look to close this up. It says, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. I just, I just want to look at a couple of thoughts there in verse 19. It says, Your way was through the sea. Can I tell you that God's way for our lives is almost always through the sea? Figuratively speaking, this life is difficult. And God's way for us is to go through the sea. He's not going to take us around. We're going to have to go through. But he's going to get us through. And if it requires a miracle, he can do a miracle. If it requires something we've never thought of, he's thought of it. 
Whatever it requires, he can do it. It is through the sea. And I love that phrase there. It says, yet your footprints were unseen. The Israelites never saw God, but they saw what he did. God will take us through the sea. And it may be hard to see what he's doing, but it doesn't mean he's not there. And I just want to wrap this up by saying, you know what? It's okay for us to wrestle with these kind of feelings. It's okay for us to wrestle with these kind of things. It's okay for us to express them. As I said earlier, the Psalms are full of these kind of expressions. And God said, put it in the Bible. There, there, there was this kind of teaching that came out a number of years ago. I'm sure it still floats around today too. That we as believers... And it's based on the truth, so so don't get me wrong here. That we as believers need to stand on God's promises and claim them. That's a hundred percent true, and I will never deny that. Most important thing we can do is to stand on God's promises and claim them. But some teachers have taken that farther to say, and you need to deny anything in your life that's negative. They may not put it in that word, in those words. You get a bad diagnosis from your doctor. And if you've ever said this, this is not a negative thing on you because we've all heard this teaching so much and say, well, I'm not going to claim that. I'm not going to admit that. I want to tell you something. Faith is not denial. Faith is, I've got this situation in my life, but my God is bigger than my situation. I've got this situation in my body. I've got this situation in my family. I've got this situation in in, in my workplace. I've got this situation. But you know what? My God is bigger than this. And my God is actively at work in my situation. And as I work with him, he's going to bring about a deliverance. Don't know when. Don't know what it's going to look like. But that is faith. And I'm going to trust what God does. I wish I'd have written it down. It's my fault. Yesterday at the ladies' thing, Pastor Deanna, you know, talked about the definition of faith. And she talked about the fact it's not deciding what you want and telling God that's what it is and he has to do it because basically, you know, that's what faith is. No, it's it's God, here's the situation. And I need you to intervene. But I am going to trust you. And whatever you choose to do about it is okay with me. Whatever you choose to do, you got it there. Go ahead and I want to read it to you. Because half of you all weren't here yesterday because you're male. I was here as the host pastor. She said, true faith isn't the belief that God will do exactly what you tell him to do or not do. True faith is leaving the outcome up to God and trusting him completely that whatever he decided is best for you. That's what faith is. Now, please understand, I'm not coming against any of you that might have said, well, I got this bad report, but I'm not claiming that. I'm not doing that, you know. You do whatever you need to do. Just recognize that whatever your situation is, God knows what it is. And God's on your side. And God wants to work in and through that situation. And it's okay to wrestle with it. And it's not a lack of faith to admit that you need God. And it's not a lack of faith to say, I don't know what God's going to do about this, but I'm going to trust him. In fact, it takes more faith to trust God when you don't know what he's going to do than if you think you know what he's going to do. Because you're saying, I'm going to trust God no matter what. 
Even if he doesn't do this, even if he doesn't do that, even if he doesn't do the way I want or I think he should, I'm still going to trust God. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So I want to encourage you, be honest with your feelings. Pour out your heart to God, but don't dwell just on your problems. This lament, that's kind of the description of these kind of psalms, is a lament because something's going wrong. It turned into a hymn of praise because the focus shifted to God. And God wants to do that in your life. Now, this is the Old Testament. This psalm doesn't even talk about Jesus, but we just have to say that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this. Jesus is God. Jesus came to the earth to take care of the problem of sin and all its consequences, which include all the stuff that we struggle with. Jesus came to die on the cross to be our Savior, to pay the price for our sins so we can have a relationship with Him and with God for all eternity. Jesus is our deliverer. Jesus is the one that we can come to with anything and everything and know that He's going to be here for us and with us and actively at work in our lives. He's the one that gives us freedom from sin and help in this life and hope for the future. So yes, we come to God, but we come to God through Jesus. We look to Him. So when I'm deeply troubled and God is silent, will I give in to doubt? Or will I cling to God in faith, remembering His past goodness? God has delivered before and He will do it again. So as we wrap this up, As I said, the title is When God is Silent. It's something we all can relate to or have related to. But the thing is, we can even trust God when he seems to be silent. The question is, what choice will we make? This is what I feel like the Lord kind of laid on my heart to do for today. I'm going to invite you all to stand. I'm going to invite our elders, Pastor Jan, if any of our prayer team are here to come down front. Our worship team is going to lead us in some worship. And here's what I'd like to do. We we always want to pray for people in need, and we invite you to come forward if that's you. But I just felt like God said, just go out to where the people are. So as we begin to sing, as we begin, begin to enter this time, if you would like somebody to pray with you, would you just step out into the aisle? Another good reason to do this is some, sometimes people can't make it all the way down to the front. Health issues, whatever. If you want, and, and, and men, Pastor Jan, and people are always stepping out, go ahead. Go ahead and start praying for them. But if you need, if you want a touch, and, and just because you're stepping out doesn't mean that you're in a situation, you're overwhelmed, and you think God is silent. If that's you, definitely step out. But if you got something, it's not that serious, but I need God's touch, step out. We want to come pray with you. And it may not just be a physical thing. It may not be an emo- it may not be a relational thing. It could be something with work, with school. But well, school's not in right now. You may be struggling with some emotional health issues, depression, uh, just an overwhelming sense of something, or maybe somebody you love is struggling. You say, "Hey, I want you to come pray with me, but not for me, but it's for somebody else." As we go through this time of worship, step into the aisle. We're going to come. We're going to pray for you. And in a little while, somebody will come back. One of the pastoral staff will come back and close the service in prayer. So let's worship. Let's pray. God, I thank you.
for every precious person under the sound of my voice. And I pray, oh God, that you would touch everyone in this room and those online watching that are battling with different situations in their lives. And they, like Pastor said, they're saying, God, where are you? I thank you that you are here for us. And God, sometimes you allow us to walk through dark seasons because God, just like the butterfly, it's when they're in the cocoon, Lord, that you are preparing them for the greater good. And if we will trust you, the day will come when we will be birthed out of that cocoon and our wings will be ready to soar for your glory. We'll be able to do what you've called us to do, to love you fully, to love people fully. God, I thank you. I thank you. I pray your blessings over your people today. May they walk out of here knowing, God, that you love them and they are not alone in what they're going through. Oh, God, I pray for a mighty, mighty outpouring of your Holy Spirit in our church in an unprecedented way like never before as we go forward. Father, I thank you for your precious people. These people, our people, our family, God. Bless them today. Help us to go out of here into the mission field and share the light of your love. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 